Thank you for joining Auto Network Reports. I'm Roosevelt, and this is our first show of 2024. So we're going to try and jump right into uh, what we're having for the day. We're going to have some car reviews. I'm going to talk about some of the latest industry news topics. But before we get into that, I always have to do my little PSAs up front. One is you can find us on blackpressusa.com. But the most important one is to please like, follow, subscribe to each one of the panelists. Show them some love. And if you know an African-American male that's 30 years or older, please make sure he visits his urologist and get that PSA exam. I call it our automotive marketplace. It's called Coupons, Offers, and Deals. You can go in. There's a free registration. Free registration, you'll be seeing specials from uh, auto dealers, oil changes, new cars, used cars, you name it. They'll start posting that information there very, very soon. But anyway, let's get right into a couple of recalls. And Ford has a recall on the, where is it? I just had, it. oh, the F-150 2021 through 2023 model. 112,000 vehicles, the rear axle hub bolt may break and that could result in a possible collision. We have Honda and Acura, 2.5 million vehicles under recall for a fuel pump issue. It could cause the, en cause the engine to stall. And Toyota and Lexus has under recall one point, well, 1 million vehicles for sensors. They could prevent the airbag from deploying in an accident. If you noticed, we mentioned recalls of Tesla a couple of weeks ago. I think they had, what, all of their vehicles were on the recall. Yep. But fortunately, all they had to do was a software update. Unfortunately, these recalls, you're going to have to go to NHTSA.gov Enter your 17-digit VIN number to see if your vehicle falls under one of the recall notices. If it is, please call your local dealer, make an appointment, be nice, and take it in. With Tesla, you do nothing. You just perform, go to bed, wake up the next day, <laughs> over-the-air update for the recall. But anyway, who wants to go first with their review? Hey, Tia, I know you raised your hand. You know, I did. <laughs> Go right ahead. Okay. Okay. This week, we are... Okay, let's go last week. Last week was Genesis GB80. Okay. Fell hard for that vehicle. Okay. I are We already know that I already love the GBs from Genesis. I like the 60. I like the 70. I love that they're available in EV and gas options. I also really liked about this one is that there was more headspace, like actual space between here. This time it was holiday season, so I had all of my kids. So my teenagers are over six foot each, and they were in the back seat, and they were comfortable with their heads, with their bodies, with nobody was, she's touching me, he's touching me, their shoulders are touching each other. Um, I also love that it just felt like legacy luxury, even though it's not. Very, very, very nice. Very, very nice. One of those Midas touch vehicles. 
So if that was my one that I'm doing. Roosevelt? Yes. Would you have Tia explain to those of us uninitiated, the great unwashed, what legacy luxury means? <laughs> the great unwashed? The great unwashed. That's a, a Blackie Sherrod phrase. And Blackie Sherrod precedes you, Tia, by a number of years. But, <laughs> well, but, you, just, uh, you just explained it, Dave. <laughs> you explained great unwashed. You did explain the legacy luxury. Yeah, yeah I was just saying, that's a legacy quip, not a legacy luxury. But. <laughs> Those are ones your BMW, your Mercedes, your Jaguars, your ones that are just have established themselves. They're not trying to create brand awareness. People know who they are already. Is it, is it like Republican luxury? Republican Ooh. luxury. I am not drifting into politics. See my thing. Here we go. Here we go. Moving right along. <laughs> Greg, how about you? Uh, this week, let's talk about the only thing that Chrysler is making right now, a Pacifica. Oh, I love that It's a wonderful SUV. Not, excuse me, not SUV, minivan. They call it a multi-purpose vehicle. But it is probably the best iteration of a minivan to come from the Chrysler brand. And that's something they should lean into because, let's face it, Chrysler created the minivan segment. Unfortunately, because of either bad management, bad planning or whatever, that's the only vehicle that's being manufactured these days with a Chrysler nameplate on it. Uh, and it's tragic for a company that one time had a whole array of interesting sedans uh, and that epitomized domestic built luxury vehicles, uh, which takes me to my next point about their parent company, Stellantis, pulling out of the Chicago auto show and saying they're going to be taking a real hard look at whether they do auto shows ever again. Uh, that is tragic from my point of view. And I'm going to do my impression of Dave Bolt here and call it out for what I see. That company has had problems for several years, and many of them go back to the time when Bob Nardelli was head of the company under Cerebus uh, Capital Management. They did no research. They did no long-term planning. They were the last domestic three of the domestic three to look into EV technology. And now they're at a point where there's nothing new from Dodge. There's nothing, you know, we're waiting for Ram to deliver their EV whenever that will happen. Uh, Chrysler is down to offering the Pacifica brand new, and Jeep continues to build bigger and bigger vehicles that consume more and more fossil fuel. And it's like, you know, Jeep does have a couple of EV, uh, hybrids, but come on, guys, what in the hell is going on there in Auburn Hills? <laughs> say, say hello to Brian Martin. He happens to be sitting in, in the chat room. Listen to what you guys are talking about. But anyway, Dave, what are you driving? What's your press car? In the uh, press car of last week, I'll, I'll use, uh, given the fact that I had a whole week with it as opposed to just a, a day or two with the uh, current Kia Seltos, let me talk about the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid, PHEV. And you know it's a plug-in because it says so in pretty big chrome print there on the front fenders. But uh, Mitsubishi to my way of thinking, they ought to call it the outlier rather than the outlander, just by virtue of the fact that at this point in time, Mitsubishi occupies a very niche percentage of uh, the U.S. marketplace. But this is a plug-in hybrid closely related to Nissan's Rogue, which is not available in electrified version here in the States, but uh, closely related to that in that they share a platform. There's more uh, going on on the front end of the outlander than there is the Rogue. This uh, Looks as if it was a robe, perhaps uh, designed by uh, aliens from a front fascia standpoint. Or as I wrote, the design team had some budget and they decided to use it. 
Uh, the bottom line, though, it uh, gets 37 miles of all electric driving. It is gas powered, so it doesn't have the range anxiety that goes with a typical EV. Extremely comfortable inside, almost sublime in terms of its performance. It's very responsive, but goes about its business quietly. Starts at about 42. This deluxe trim, I think it was an SEL trim, is like 51. And that's the hitch in this particular get along. 51 grand will get you very close to buying the RAV4 Prime from Toyota, which is also a plug-in, and it's a Toyota. And uh, similar all-electric range, better performance from the Toyota, and dramatically better resale. If you have a Mitsubishi salesman in the family and you want to throw him or her some business, this is a viable option if you were to lease it, but I would not suggest anyone spending their 40 to 50 grand in buying it. Great. Valerie. Yeah, no, I'm not, but I, I will, I would like to talk about the Lexus LC500H. Um, beautiful, beautiful vehicle. Um, inside and out is just, you know, just luscious. Um, Lexus just did a wonderful job as far as this flagship, the six figure vehicle. It has all the bells and whistles that you would want, massage, massaging seats, just everything. And it's just beautifully designed. Um, uh, the thing about it, however, it is a hybrid and um, Lexus does have a gas version and a convertible version of this vehicle, which I understand. I'm a little confused by the putting out a hybrid. Um, number one, maybe it's for folks who have a lot of money to spend, but really, really love hybrids and really, really want to feel good about conserving gas, but it doesn't really perform that well as far as fuel economy. You know, I got by 25 average miles per gallon. So, um, I was, I'm just confused by that. But when you look at the gasoline model, much more power, much more, I mean, it is a performance uh, vehicle, whereas this just confused me, but I mean, if you just love hybrids and you've got the you know money to spend one hundred nine thousand dollars, and I'm I've said that again, one hundred nine thousand seven fifty to be exact, then this is your vehicle. <laughs> but um, and it is really really beautiful. So it's, it's if, if nothing else, give it a test test drive because it's it a good experience. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a quick show you a quick uh, glimpse here video of what I had last week, and that's the 2024. Toyota Highlander, the 4x4 Limited HV. And it's a great car, rides well as the Toyota handles well, lots of room. One of the things that they had, uh, you have the second row captain's chairs and they have a console back there that you can remove. And the only thing I hate about a car when you have anything that you can remove in it, there's no place to store it in the car other than where it was supposed to be in the first place. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to take it out and leave it someplace. And most of the time, you leave it in your garage. And who knows what happens with that. But overall, it's a great automobile. 2.5 liter four-cylinder. Tows about 3,500 pounds. It has, it's an all-wheel drive. Uh, always like the sunshades here that you see on the second row. Uh, windows there to keep the, the heat down. No heat this time of year but keep the sun out of the car on the second row uh, passengers as you can see there there's the console that i was talking about and it can be removed remember in the days of the van greg when you can re you could remove the seats 
Oh yeah. Was, <laughs> which which was a two person operation and then you oh, had two, to figure two, out, okay, how can I get the seats back in? This was before stow and go to you where you just push a button now and they stow. So in, in case you didn't know what we were talking about. I was, I was wondering what the plan was. I was like, interesting. Why would you do that? Um, yeah, like but it. you put it, you put a console in. Okay. You can take it out. What are you going to do with that? Is that for ease of getting back to the third row? You can just slide mm -hmm. the seat up and climb in easily get to the third row. So what's the purpose of uh, having a removable? So then I don't, I don't know. Them in the back seat, they can walk themselves back. Could that, be. They would just walk back there. But anyway, that's mine for for my little quick review. And the price tag is uh, fifty two thousand eight hundred and thirteen bucks. In case you want to buy one. And Rosie, you say fifty two thousand for a Highlander. Fifty two. Grand smoking. Is it the Highlander or the Grand Highlander? This oh, is Grand the Highlander. Grand Highlander. Fair enough. Four okay. wheel drive. Limited. Yeah, Greg, it's grand. Grand. Oh, grand. Wait, it's that grand that we were talking about last week. Grand meaning big. <laughs> they were going to call it the legacy luxury. Right. I remember, <laughs> and then remember they don't have that. Oh. Uh, okay. We have we have Brian Martin in the chat and he's running up the chat and with comments. Uh, what what were we gonna say, Valerie? I just need to make a correction on my price. It was it's uh one oh nine seven oh five. Oh, excuse me. Oh yeah, forty yeah, forty five thousand. <laughs> but but you can have it for one or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so I don't know whether anybody want to address this. We normally don't uh, pull in comments, but now that we have the ability, I guess maybe we can bring up bring up at least one. And Brian Martin happens to be sitting there watching the show. Oh, and gonna... he's saying, are there any rumors? Well, I can put it on. I think I can put it on the screen. Ah, uh, there we go. <laughs> any rumors about? <laughs> Acura reintroducing re hybrid power for their everyday vehicle. Well, I know we somebody must have a comment about that. What, I, what do you I, think I, about them doing it? I had a conversation with an Acura spokesperson recently about their lineup. And I asked, you know, what's the plan for hybrid and or EVs? And he sort of smiled and says, well, we're exploring EV technology and you'll see more of that coming from us. But about hybrid sort of danced around it. Um, I get the feeling from the conversation that they know that it's something that is a nice bridge technology, but they're trying to make a decision. Do they want to use that as a bridge or do they want to go straight to EVs and bypass it? So um, I think the question would better be answered by the folks in Japan who make the final decision. Uh, if Acura did do that, it'd be a great way to do a bridge and make them very competitive with uh, the other folks in that segment uh, who are already using hybrid technology to get folks toward EVs. Let's go into a couple of the um, topics I want to get into the, today. Greg jumped into it as a part of his review, and, and I think we touched on it last week, talking about Stellantis, and they've decided to pull out of the Chicago Auto Show. And I don't, I don't remember, I don't think they were in, in L.A. either. No, they were not in L.A. They claimed they were too poor to be in L.A. Right. Because so it's going strike. to be interesting to see, one, Greg and I were talking about it in the green room. To me, every time you have one manufacturer that does something, and if they don't see any real negative res results or report about it, then some of the other 
manufacturers may do something similar, which is pulling out of an auto show. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Well, I had always heard that the auto shows, you know, they don't have a, a bright future. So maybe this is just going to be on trend. And, and that's, you know, I don't know. That's, I don't know. Do y'all remember hearing that, that auto shows really were trying to, to, justify themselves for still being around a lot of manufacturers just don't want to spend the money anymore i think with COVID hitting and the manufacturers were finally getting to the point where they could really do a good live broadcast of their product line i think that that's when they started looking seriously about maybe we don't have to do all of these auto shows or any of the auto shows you know we haven't done them for a couple of years and people are watching our live walk around so well, i think okay. that may have uh, uh i'm going to go to the wayback machine for you go ahead greg okay uh, back in the mid 2000s nissan pulled out of the chicago show and the company people looked at them like they had lost their minds. And uh, even the local dealers at one point said, look, we'll put in some cars of our own just to get something on the floor. Because the dealers recognized this is how they get people to kick the tires and sit in the seats. Then a few years later, Nissan was back with this very elaborate setup at the auto show with multiple levels. And if you remember the fragrance experience that you would experience when you'd go to the Nissan stand. Uh, but they at least had a plan going forward. As I said earlier, it feels like Stellantis got left in a lurch um, two or three owners ago, and now they're realizing, oh, man, we've got a problem here. Uh, should they go to the auto shows? I think they should be because for folks who don't want to go to the dealerships because you're feeling pressured in there, that's we can go in, do some uh, low-pressure experiencing of the vehicle. And I think it's a mistake for them, uh, but they're looking at their bottom line right now. And I just saw the sales numbers today of all the manufacturers. Stellantis took a hit. They're down 1.8% from last year. Everybody else is up in some form, fashion or another. So they're realizing we're not set. We're not, you're not building something that people want to buy. So they got to figure that problem out first before they think about coming back to the auto shows. I attended the LA auto show as a spectator, a member of the paying public. And uh, quite frankly, as a member of the paying public, parking is expensive, the tickets are expensive, but I was stunned. Uh, and I think this was, in fact, I'm sure this was a weekday, but uh, the number of people clamoring to get into that show, sit in the seats, as Greg suggested, and kick the tires. It is, forget what the media thinks about auto shows. Sure, you can Zoom a press conference easily enough, and most of us will dial it up. But for the uh, public wanting to make a decision in the next year or so as to whether they're going to spend their forty to seventy thousand dollars, it's nice to be on display and have people lined up to get behind the wheel as they were with several models there at LA. So uh, auto shows are only dead if the auto manufacturers decide they're going to be. And I can't imagine anyone with a bigger payoff at an auto show than an automotive OEM. Yeah, it is the only place where you can go as a consumer, like Dave said, and kick the tires, sit in the vehicles, bring all the kids. You can eat, drink, can't smoke, but you can do all that other stuff at an auto show and nobody is trying to sell you something. Right, right. Mm -hmm. 
I also like you can compare vehicles. Yes. You can the next to the next and then in the same facility. You can't do that anywhere. You know, you'd have to go to what, five different dealerships to try to compare vehicles across brands? Yeah, my shortlist for an EV would be Mustang Mach-E, Kia EV6, and the uh, Hyundai Ioniq 6. And as Tia suggests, that's a lot of time invested, probably an entire afternoon, to get to those three showrooms. At an auto show, you can do it in 30 minutes. And well, look, it, you may not make a decision, but you can at least narrow down that decision. Well, you know, we have CES. I don't know whether it's going on this week or next week. Next week. Next but week. Some, of the, some of the manufacturers aren't going to be at C, CES like they were a few years ago, a couple of years ago. So that's that going to be interesting part? to see as well. Do you think in part that's because of the EV market cooling and they don't see tech propelling things to the extent that it did two years ago? Well, there's more in cars than just the EVs. You know, you have tech in all these other cars is, that are still out there in the marketplace. You do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, let's face it. Anything there's, you can do these days. There's plenty of tech, especially around the entertainment area, <laughs> in-car entertainment. Hell's bells. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the reasons some of the manufacturers are sort of downplaying the role at CES is that there's so many other things going on there, so many bells and whistles and new toys, you get drowned in the noise. Uh, I remember a couple of times I went, I'm like, oh my God, this is overload. And for example, you've got one section for just automotive. They're relatively small, but you've got, you know, an even bigger section of folks just covering advancements in computer technology. And then another big section with audio tech and, you know, cameras, computers. I mean, it's just, it's too much to, to absorb, you know, having covered the show and walked approximately seven and a half, eight miles in one day, dragging my gear around. I can see why the auto company is saying, do we really want to spend that kind of money put on a display in Vegas that really doesn't get us that much return unless you're doing something outrageous like Mercedes did a couple of years ago or BMW did a couple of years ago with the car that changed colors, depending upon the light. Well, you know, the, the car companies looked at SEMA as a stepchild until they found out that they were losing a lot of money on aftermarket sales. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they dominated SEMA. You know, before COVID, they were pretty much dominating CES. Yeah. They were taking over. They were pretty much taking over that show. We heard little about electronics before COVID. Most of the things you heard about were what's happening with autos at, at CES. So it's it's going to be, again, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in, in that space. But let's move right along into, uh, you know, you're talking about charging. And there was a some research done by what's the company? Energist. Energist, and they were saying the average time for paid high speed charging spent at the charger was forty two minutes. Okay. Which is much longer than we had we have been hearing about in terms of the ten minute to eighteen minute fast charging. Now that was those were the non-Tesla chargers. So it's going to be interesting to see if they do any kind of charging tests on the t Tesla fast chargers, which most of the manufacturers now have just thrown their hands up and say, okay, we're going to do this in the next couple of years. We're going to be using Tesla chargers. 
So 42 minutes is quite a bit of time. And I posted a short, again, I have the new Lightning uh, F-150 and it's plugged into my 110 <laughs> at the house. So if I'm, when, when I get an EV, if I'm home, it's plugged in. No doubt about it. If I'm here an hour, two hours or whatever, it's plugged in. Plug it in overnight. The only time that I have had an EV and had to go to a public charging station, and I don't have a fast charger at home, was when I had the EV6 that did not have the home cable. Okay. So it's doable. No, everybody doesn't work from home. It doesn't, nothing encompasses everybody 100%. But if you're looking for an EV and you're hearing all about this, you got to have a charger here, you have to have a charger there, you do it just like your phone to me. It's like, a, it's like plugging in the phone. If, and, if, it, and it works. Go ahead. I was just going to add, if our, this is a somewhat selfishly, I'll mention, we've got a guest column in tomorrow's Texas Garage. That's txgarage.com, as you'll see at the bottom of your screen, by uh, the editor-in-chief of a uh, Dallas Weekly, a guy by the name of David Mullen. On holiday in San Francisco, he rented an EV, and it was his first opportunity to drive an EV, and he did so as a rental. Anyway, he gets a Kona EV with 170 miles at uh, Hertz's counter. Uh, range, full range, fully charged range is 240. He gets it with 170. Anyway, it's a really interesting initial impression of an admitted neophyte renting an EV for the very first time. And uh, I'd invite those viewers out there, other than my immediate family, to uh, take a look at uh, this article and uh, get David Mullen's impression. You can tell us so you can tell us his overall impression and people will still read the article. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I hate to go to the end, Roosevelt, but that's why not? Uh, I, I think he found the the Kona EV he found very, very positive. But the balance of it is he pointed out in gas cars, we don't need a gas tank at home. We've got gas stations with uh, an EV and he's traveling. He's in the hotels. You better have you know, an EV charger near where you are because you don't have an alternative. And uh, he spent 30 bucks, which I'm pretty sure was not only the charging, but the deposit necessary to get your charger. He spent 30 bucks for what he said was five miles of charging at a, a public outlet. And then he uh, got free charging at his hotel, but parking was 85 bucks to get that free charging. Mm. So it was definitely a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that in terms of this total experience, but he was very, very happy with the Kona itself. You know, I, as you all can tell, I like EVs. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to our industry, all of a sudden people seem to have an, an aversion to, to changing how they do things. <laughs> if you're gonna get an EV, all the electric vehicles specifically yes you have to do some research you didn't have to do that before when we had gasoline and diesel engine cars you didn't have to do the research now if you're going to own an ev you have to do one of two things 
even if he owned a home a home charger for that car and he took it on the road he was still away from his home charging station so he was going to have the same issues mm -hmm. <laughs> without the home charging station mm -hmm. if you're going to get an ev and you're going to take it on the road you're going to have to plan for it there's no ifs ands or buts about it until the infrastructure gets up to speed and that's just the nature of the beast and if you don't want to do that, don't even test an EV. Anyway, go ahead, Val. Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to just add what uh, my experience again. I had a bunch of, of EVs this summer, but as we had talked before, it, because of the weather sensitivity of these EVs, that was a big challenge. And I think I did try, I, I didn't need to charge, but I wanted to experience. So I did take it to a charge point station. And I think I mentioned it to y'all. I only, I think it only charged for 20 minutes and um, only got 10 miles and it was $10. No, I got 20 miles for 10 minutes, but he was in the sun and um, it charged me $10. So I thought that was a lot considering uh, comparing it to gas. But I, I agree with you, Roosevelt. You do have to do your research, understanding that also these fast chargers are, are, are um, stage three chargers. That's not ideal for your battery. Remember, so so you really do need to have a place to have a slow, slower, uh, a more gentle a charging uh, experience with your with your electric vehicle um, to, to in order to keep to keep it uh, to make sure that it lasts longer and that you protect the battery. I think people are uh, believe uh, wrongly that all you need is to be able to find fast charging and you'll be able to to run it like a, an electric vehicle. But it's that's not. I mean, like a gasoline vehicle but they're not the same and they're very different and you have to be really prepared the good thing i found on these evs is that you do have in your navigation now they'll show you the nearest charging station so there is more infrastructure than there used to be so that is helpful but it's still very uh, risky to take it on the road for a long trip it's still not going to be something that completely replaces uh, a gasoline vehicle in my opinion i think it can replace gasoline it depends on where you live, what infrastructure is available, where you happen to be going. And it's something you'll have to plan out because it's not something you can just get in and go. You're gonna need to plan or at least use what the tech that's in the car. Um, but like Roosevelt said, it requires you to retrain yourself to think it's like a phone. It's like a phone. You're not gonna leave your phone. Like I'm on my phone now. Um, you're not gonna leave it off the battery, off the charger and then expect it to work or charge it to 12% and expect it to work the way it would fully charge. But I think if you're in the right environment, it can. It can replace a gas vehicle. But I don't think most environments are there yet, but it's coming. Well, to go to a little more lighthearted topic, a lot of these cars now have these kick lift gates where you just go back in the back of the car and you move your foot one way or the other and the lift gate opens. Mm -hmm. Have you all ever tried that and, and got off balance? Well, <laughs> yes, and my, uh, my, back, my doctor and my chiropractor are still laughing about that. <laughs> I've uh, tried to target it unsuccessfully. You don't realize that you're usually doing that when you get your arms full of stuff and you forget about equilibrium and balance. And as I found out and woke up laying on the grass, it was not a fun experience. Um, and I, that's still 
something needs a little work. Um, some, are, <laughs> some mitts are better than others. The good news is I survived. I won't need surgery. And um, I've also learned if I'm going to do that, make sure I'm near the grass and not the concrete. I, I'm thinking they ought to put the breathalyzer back there by the hatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. A lot of these new features in cars that are supposed to be a convenience. It's like it's like Greg said, he didn't have to go to the doctor. <laughs> well, in my experience, they it rarely works. You know, it's it's you know, half the time I, I haven't had it had it engage. It won't engage. I'm just I'm not finding the right spot to get it to engage. So, I just use the my key fob to open the lift gate. But anyway, we'll end with a chuckle. <laughs> and Greg on his back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really want to thank Brian Martin. Unfortunately, Brian, we don't spend a whole lot of time trying to uh, talk about the issues that you post in the comments. I do appreciate you watching the, the presentation and leaving comments. Uh, I may go through the comments and start responding to them offline. This is a half hour show. We try to get through real quick. Um, we used to do an hour, an hour just we could probably do an hour today because we have a lot more people participating and and like now you can pull in comments and things like that which takes some time to respond to live so we'll have to look at that but anyway i want to thank all of you for watching the live presentation i want to thank all of you for watching the on-demand replay please visit the website or social media sites of each one of the panelists like follow and subscribe and as always please buckle up don't drink and drive buckle up don't text and drive see you next time thank Thanks, you guys appreciate it <laughs>